And uh, today, I just want to spend a wee bit of time thinking about life after the comma. And all will hopefully become clear. But I'm just going to pause for a second. There's been a lot of information, a lot of things to take in. And uh, let's just pause and pray. And let's ask God to really speak to us uh, through this message this morning. Father, we thank you that you are a good God. Father, we thank you that you are interested in every aspect of our lives. Father, we thank you that you have placed us here at this time strategically in this church for a purpose and for a reason. And Father, we pray that you would help each one of us to find out what our purpose is for being part of this church. Father, we pray that you would speak really, really clearly to us. And Father, we're all at different stages in our Christian life, different stages in our physical life, different ages. But Father, we pray that you would help each of us, regardless of, of that stage or age, to really find our purpose in you. And Father, to invest ourselves in that purpose. And so, Father, we pray for your word today. Lord, we pray that you bless it and that you would anoint it. And Father, that you would say what you want to say through it. And that your thoughts and your words would be remembered. And that everything else would just be forgotten about. So, Father, we just give ourselves to you in these moments and we ask that you would speak really, really clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we may read a passage of Scripture first as we start off. We're in Acts chapter 1. We'll read from verse 1 through to 11. If you want to turn that up in your Bible, uh, if you want to look it up on your electronic bible type device, that's great as well. And uh, this is... Luke, who is writing, and he's writing to his friend Theophilus, and he says he wrote all about all the things Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes in a cloud, hid, uh, and a cloud hid from and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, "Why do you stand here looking into the sky?" This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go 
into heaven. Amen. Today, the message is about life after the comma, and uh, really, hopefully, try and communicate something of what I really feel God wants to, to say today. Um, I don't know if anybody's a Coldplay fan in here. Does anybody like Coldplay, the band? Quite a few people like Coldplay. Uh, they have a song, and in that song called uh, Every Teardrop is a Waterfall, there's a wee line that I really liked in that song. It says, I'd rather be a comma than a full stop. That's the way I try to live my life. That it's not just about me, full stop, but there are things which are going to happen after me. There are things which are going to come about after me. And I want to be part of investing my life into what's going to come after the comma. If all I do as a leader in this church or as a father or as a, a human being is about for the here and now, then I am missing something. And I think we're missing something if we only think about ourselves and if we only think about the here and now. A comma is a punctuation mark indicating a pause between parts of a sentence or separating items in a list. The comma, that little mark that comes in between things. I'm drying up today. And I, I think the Bible is full of commas, and we've read about some of them here in the book of Acts. Jesus' death was a comma. Okay, for the technical people who said Jesus said it was finished, should it not be a full stop? Okay. But the fact is that Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus rose to life. He came back to life from being in the grave. And even, even in the grave where he was left, that was a comma as well because he rose. And it says in Acts chapter 1 verse 3, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. I would have thought if I was looking at Jesus in the flesh, after he had been raised to life, that would be proof enough. Maybe Jesus knew what was going to happen afterwards and people saying, how can somebody be raised from the dead? He gave convincing proofs to these men that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. He continued to teach the people after he had come back to life again. But even the resurrection was a comma because what came after the resurrection was what we've read here and after that came the ascension. After this, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Can you imagine yourself in this moment? What the heck just happened there? <laughs> this same Jesus who has been taken from you will come back in the same way you have seen him go. And even the ascension is a coma. And we live in that coma. The early church was birthed in that moment after the coma. And the reality is that Scripture teaches us that Jesus is coming back again. 
in the same way in which he left, you'll see him come back again. The question for us is, are we watching? Are we watching for his coming? I don't know about you, but I used to have a real fear of flying. And every time I got onto a plane, I would go through everything I could think of that I'd done wrong and confess all my sins and think, okay, I better just get all this sorted just in case, okay? Because if this plane crashes and I go to be with Jesus, I want to make sure the slate is clean and everything is forgiven. The reality for us is that most of the days aren't filled with moments where we think, I need to just make sure. I need to make sure I've got the slate all scrubbed out and clean. Are we watching? Are we waiting? Are we expecting Jesus to return? Are we witnessing to the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead and he's given many convincing proofs? Are we compassionate? Are we loving? Are we serving? The reality for all of us is that we're living in life after the coma, after the coma of the ascension. Jesus has returned to the Father and we know that he is preparing a place for each of us. And I, just want, I wanted to spend just a, a few minutes thinking about the early church and the birth of the early church. What came after the coma? And the first few chapters of Acts are really fascinating as Luke recalls the building of the early church. He goes into detail about the numbers as well as who was doing what and what God was doing. Acts chapter 1, we read that there are 120 people in the upper room. After three years of ministry, there are 120 people in the upper room. And I was thinking about this. Where were all the people that Jesus had healed? Where were all the people that Jesus had raised from the dead? Where were all the people that had had demons cast out of them? Where was the woman who had been caught in adultery and had come and Jesus had said, whoever is without sin cast the first stone? Where were all these people? And yet, in this moment, 120 people, the disciples, Jesus' family, his mother, his... And it made me 120 people. There were the, 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 the guys who were on duty would sit. 120 are not overflowing every Sunday. It's great when we have visitors and the place is really, really busy. And it made me think about life after the coma. We are in that moment after the coma. God is still building his church, and yet we have spare seats as you look around. I don't get upset about the fact that there are spare seats, but I do think there are people that Jesus wants to reach, and he can only do that through the church. The church grew rapidly. Let's look at Acts 2. On the day of Pentecost, there was explosive growth in the church as people responded to the message that Peter stood up and shared. These people met 
together, it says. Every day they continued, Acts 2 and 46, every day they continued to meet together in the heart courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. These people were connected together. They had relationship together, not just on a Sunday, but throughout the week. It says that they met together in homes. Explosive growth of the church. How are we going to meet? Well, maybe there isn't a building to contain all that God wants to do. I believe that our buildings have not to define us. This building has a a limited capacity. We've been thinking about how we use it, how we can fit more people in. And I'll maybe talk a wee bit more about that. But I think what God wants to do is bigger than our buildings. I think it was Winston Churchill who once said that we shape our buildings and then our buildings shape us. We don't want to be limited or defined by this space. God wants to do something that is far bigger because we're living in life after the coma. 120 goes to 3,000. In Acts chapter 3 and 4, we read about a man who was healed at the gate, beautiful. One man added to the church. That's not a big deal, is it? One person? One person added to the church? But then we need to realize that Acts chapter 4 is spilling out of Acts chapter 3. The man who was healed, the cripple who was healed. And they're preaching the gospel to these people. They're talking about this Jesus whom you crucified. Would you have liked to have been in the audience that day, knowing that you were part of that? We sometimes forget, actually, when we read that, this Jesus whom you crucified, well, actually, I put myself in that place as well. This Jesus was crucified on my behalf. This Jesus was crucified for my sin. And so I'm as good as the people who were here 2,000 years ago. And when I hear that message, this Jesus whom you crucified, and when I become aware of the things in my life that don't honor and glorify God, then I think about this. It was my sin that put him on the cross. And because they began to share this message and upset people, they got thrown into jail. But we read that that there was a miraculous escape and the church began to grow again. And it says in Acts chapter 4 that the number of men alone is now 5,000. 5,000 people. The church continues to grow. Acts chapter 5, we read about Ananias and Sapphira who sold some land, and rather than bringing all of the proceeds uh, uh, to to lay at the apostles' feet, they decided to keep some for themselves. Now, that wasn't the issue. The issue wasn't keeping some to themselves. The issue was presenting what they had brought as the whole package, which it wasn't. And the issue was about deception, and the issue, I think, was about pride. And we read that Ananias is struck down dead as he lies about what he has done. And Sapphira, his wife, comes in later and they ask her about what has happened. Peter quizzes her and she attempts deception as well. And she's struck down dead just like that. 
And this is what Acts 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 13 and 14 says. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Would you want to be part of something like that? I better not tell a wee porky pie or I might get struck down dead. <laughs> but verse 14, listen to what it says. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. More people believed and were added to the number. And then we come to Acts chapter 6 and 7. And it says here, in those days the number of disciples was increasing. The church is still growing. But it says here that the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because the widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. It's time to begin to delegate some of the things that are happening. We think about delegating, and actually it kind of is a wee bit of a joke, because they had thousands and thousands of people joining the church, people being saved every day, and they're trying to keep up with all the things that the Holy Spirit is doing. And they need to begin to delegate and sort out some of these problems. But it made me think, and I really feel this is that somebody needs to hear this today. There are many, many things that happen in the life of the church and life after the coma. There's lots of things that God is doing and your role matters. The thing that you're doing matters. I don't actually think I'm looking at people who are convinced that their role matters. Honestly. I'm looking at people who are unconvinced today that your role matters. Do you really believe that what you do in God's kingdom matters? Rhetorical question. You don't need to respond. You need to grow. Acts about needs were met. We need to really remember that the probably gifted Jerusalem and became obedient to the fee in the opening chapter. How was all this possible? Because the Holy Spirit had come and empower them. And the reality for us is that we need the Holy Spirit to come in and empower us because we're still living in life after the coma of the ascension. We're waiting for the full stop to come and that will come when Jesus returns again. And the church will stop being built. Think about that. They'll become... Uh, there will come a time when the church will stop being built. And those who have never responded to the message of Christ, for them it will be too late. I wonder if that motivates us. Our purpose is still the same. The command to the disciples still applies to us today. Our purpose is to go to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that Jesus has taught us. 
The church is still in the process of being built. And it made me think about our church here, and let me personalize it a little bit. For me, I always think of the church year beginning in September, because we're all back off our holidays, we're all refreshed, we're all happy. <laughs> Just checking. We're all ready and raring to go. Yeah? <laughs> and I think, well, what's happening next? And I think about my own life. Another year gone. This is three years since I took over from Andrew. What have I done? What have I achieved? What has God done? What is God doing? And I would say, in amongst all the busyness, one of the things that I've been trying to do is to lay foundations, not just practically in the building, We've seen the photographs of the foundations when we celebrated uh, 40 years as a church last year at this time. We had all the photographs along the wall. We'll not be doing that again because we'll upset the paintwork. It's too nice. But it made me think about what have we been doing in this last year. And it, it reminded me of the quote from David Shearman uh, that I used last year. If your foundation is six before, then you will only ever build a garden shed. what we're building. And I, I really feel that one of the, the keys, and I'm going to come on and talk about this, one of the keys is that everybody finds their purpose, everybody finds their role, and that everybody is working together to the same end and to the same purpose, and that everybody is participating in this work of seeing His kingdom come and His will being done. You know, it's always easier to look at the outward things, the fact that there is new paintwork, the new sound system, the lights have changed, all of these things and other things that we plan to do. And it's easy to look at those things, but these things are not what define us as a fellowship. This is just about creating an environment where we can invite people in to experience the presence of God in our services. You see, it's the why behind the what. There's a reason for doing all these things. And it's not just to make us feel good about ourselves. It's because we believe that God loves the people in our community and that God wants us to win our community for Him. The reason for all the practical stuff isn't the end in itself. What we're trying to build here is a people who are Christ-centered and community-focused. We've been working on the prayer side of the church, trying to create opportunities for more people to pray together. I'm not saying that people don't pray, but there's something powerful about when we come and we pray together. We read in the book of Acts that the, the, the disciples met. They didn't just meet, they met together. And I really stopped and thought about that. They didn't just meet, and it wasn't even just described as they just met. They met together. There was a togetherness with these people. And the reason sometimes we can lose in church, and the reason we do things like connect groups, life groups as we called them, small groups of any shape, size, is that we are able to connect together to experience being in community. 
And the reality is that we live in a community that need reached for Jesus. The other reality, forgive me if I'm wrong, but most people in our community are not responding to Christ. That saddens me. Most people in our community are not responding to Christ. If more people were, this church would be full, the other churches would be full. But the reality is that most people are not responding to Christ. We do things like celebration of hope, and we are encouraged by that. And just a little thought that comes to my mind as I share this. Think about the amount of work and effort that went into 1,400 people responding to the gospel in whatever way they responded. Think about the amount of work that went into that and the cost that went into that. The reality is that people aren't responding and we need to pray about that. We need to pray about why people are not responding to the gospel. And we need to pray that people do start responding to the gospel. I think that's a really, really important thing. If, I, if you forget everything else I say today, we need to grasp this. My heart's desire is to see people beginning to respond to the gospel. The people in your family, the people in my family who have invited to things in the past and haven't come But the reality is that in this church, there's a lot of things going on in the life of the church. And please forgive me if I've missed something out. I just wanted to fire up uh, a slide with some of the things that go on in the life of the church. The first list is things which are kind of focused on the people who are in the church, mostly, not exclusively. But if you look at that list, you think, man, there's a lot of things actually going on in the life of the church week by week. Things that are happening in the life of the church to make even today possible. But there's another list of things which I think are predominantly outward-focused ministries. And again, not exclusively, but things which are for uh, the, the greater community. All these things which happen to help us to reach our community for Jesus. And not just our community as we see these things coming up, but reaching our world for Christ. There's a part for everybody to play in this. <laughs> Every single person. Even if you can't get out midweek, we can be praying together around these purposes. All of these things happen in the life of this church. And I want to just kind of come back to, as, as I finish off, thinking about some of the things that we're trying to see happen here because we believe that God has put them on our hearts And these, it's a simple, simple list of things, and it's not rocket science, but a desire is to see new Christians, and not just people making decisions, but new disciples. A desire, because we feel God has said this, is to reach a new generation for God, a new generation for Christ, the generation that's coming up, which is why when I hear that Coldplay song, I'd rather be a comma then I full stop. I think about the generation that's coming after me. 
the generation that I need to begin to invest something in. You know, when I was in Ethiopia, I saw a man who was building a church, a church building, multi-story, and it was going to cost him nine million pounds to build this building. And you think, that's a bit of a waste of money, is it not? In the middle of Addis Ababa, he's trying to build a nine million pound multi-story building. And do you know what he said? He says, the reason that we're doing this is that we want to take this hit, we want to do this work, so that the generation which comes after us don't need to worry about all that stuff. They have the facilities, the resources to actually go on with the mission. He was building with the next generation in mind. If all we are about is our own generation and our own needs and likes and wants and desires, then we've missed something because there is a generation which comes after us that if we don't invest in, they won't come after us. Believe me, there are plenty of things to take the next generation off into all sorts of directions. We need to be reaching that generation and helping them to follow the incredible work that God has for them. New ministries rising up, like women's ministry, like the social media outreach, new levels of ministry, new levels of leadership, new levels of unity. And I just wanted to draw attention to this uh, second last point here. And for us, I think it's important as leaders that we invest in developing other leaders. You see, one person can't do all the work. I've been in churches over the years where the pastor did absolutely everything. And it's really tempting to do everything yourself because you get things the way you want that way. But in the long term, it doesn't work. In the early church, they needed to de uh, delegate jobs so that they could focus on what God had called them to do. One man ministry will achieve a church this size. In order to go to a new level, then we need more leaders. We need more leaders who are leading leaders. We need a senior leadership team functioning in their gift and their anointing. We also need the teams in the church to be functioning to their full capacity and looking at how they develop their area of ministry. And it's not just about the individual teams. It's about the connection between these teams because everything that we do is connected. We can't just say, oh, we'll be over here in Treasure Kids and our bit's going really great and we're really sorry that you're struggling, but we're doing really good. Thank you very much. What kind of message does that say? I don't want to be part of a church which is bragging about something that's doing really well and ignoring people who are struggling. The reality is that all of our teams need to be functioning in all their full potential. We also need to pray into this third last one, new levels of ministry. We put up a list, two lists on the screen there of things which happen in the life of the church. My prayer is that all of these ministries go to new levels, that there's new levels of life coming through all of those ministries. We need to begin to grow deeper and deeper in the things of the Spirit. 
things like the baptism of the Spirit, which we started off reading about here, we need to continue to experience the baptism of the Spirit because that's how the church was empowered. We need to grow in prayer and fasting. We need to grow in the gifts of the Spirit. We heard a message in tongues this morning. We heard people share things prophetically. These are the gifts of the Spirit in operation. And we'll maybe come back and talk about the gifts again. We need to pray for an increase in the prophetic in the life of the church. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, I come back to it again. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Verse 19, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. And I really felt as I prayed about this passage before God and said, what are you saying? What does this mean? I felt that the streams in the wasteland is what God wants to do through all of the ministries that are connected with this church, the ones that have been in existence for a long time and the new ones. Because it's only the life of God that will bring fruit and lasting change. Not only for us, but for the generations which will follow. And these are some of the things that we've even talked about today. New things uh, which God has been speaking to us about, the social media uh, used as a tool for outreach, connect groups, and I'll do a presentation on connect groups next week. I want to meet with the connect group leaders today, just for a, a few minutes after the service, uh, to have a chat with you. Women's ministry, which is on the go. Um, I'm going the wrong way in my presentation. <laughs> Um, women's ministry, which is up and running, uh, new logo, new website, and uh, also more work that we want to do on the building, practical improvements, including uh, transforming this area through here. And as I finish off, my question is, where, where are you in all of this? Where are you positioned after the comma, where are you? Where has God placed you? What is God saying to you? What is he doing? Some of us, some of us need to have some full stops in our life because there are things which are stopping us from moving into the plans and purposes that God has for us. And we need to, through a relationship with God, through some confession and soul searching, put some full stops in our lives to see his kingdom come, to see his will being done. We said a while back that we want to win this town for Jesus. And in the process of doing so, God will show us what to do in relation to winning other places. And we really feel that what God is calling us to is not to build a massive church, but to spread the church out across this area. What is God doing? <laughs> He's doing lots of things, but I just want him to do more through me and through us. I want to see his kingdom come. I want to see his will being done. And my question is, what is God calling you to carry? What is God equipping you to carry? And what are you willing to carry? See, the 120 people who were in that room that we thought about right at the start of the sermon those 120 people were ready and they were willing to carry what the Holy Spirit was going to give them. 
what are you willing to carry? Makes me think about all the people who used incredibly powerfully by God. How did that happen? Did it just happen? Did God just decide that somebody was going to go zap and, and they became, you know, Billy Graham, for example? It didn't just happen like that. There was a process of God working on somebody and somebody coming to the point where they say, I surrender all, to quote the old hymn. There comes a moment where we've got to say, okay, I'm willing to carry what you want to put on me. And because there was 120 people willing to carry what God was going to give them, then there was the explosive growth of the church that we read about in Acts. You see, it requires time. It requires energy. And it requires finance. And we need to be invested in these things. If we are really serious about seeing His kingdom come and His will being done, it will require our time. I hear it so many times. I'm too busy. I don't have time. I remember trying to get somebody to chair the parent council down at the academy, and people were saying, I've got, I don't have enough time. And I'm like, excuse me? And I've got loads? The reality is that we invest ourselves in what we think is important. We all have 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we will invest our time and energy into the things which we think are the priorities. I know what it's like to feel absolutely exhausted and still have to get up and go out and do something at the end of the day because something else crops up and you think, I need to go and see that person. And you don't have the energy for it. And you'd rather be putting your feet up. And God gives us what we need for every moment. God gives us the energy. And believe me, I know how important it is to rest. And it takes our finance as well. And I'm really grateful to everyone who gives financially into the life of the church. Really, really grateful for that. But there are things which I would like to see happening in the church which need finance. And we can only really begin to launch in those areas where we have the finance to cover it. We need to invest in these things. We need to invest in prayer in order to see the purposes of God come alive in our generation. I remember years and years ago, and uh, I would be in this church singing this song, I want to serve the purpose of God in my generation. Those who've been around a while will know that song. And I loved singing that song because it was a prayer. It was something that was alive in me. I want to serve God's purpose in my generation. I want to use my gift, my energy, my talents, such as they are. I want to use them for God and be invested into the things that God is doing. I wonder where are we at today? The challenge comes to us all. How are you going to invest? Where is God asking you to get involved in life after the comma? And if you're saying, well, I don't really think I've got a part to play in all this, come and have a word with me because I'm quite sure that you do. Don't throw away your confidence, the Bible says. It will be richly rewarded. And there are things which God is doing in this place just now, even in this moment, <laughs> that are part of what He's trying to say. And I pray that just as we close our eyes 
and allow some time to respond to this just now. Let's just do that. Let's just close our eyes and allow time to really respond this morning. Father, that you are speaking into our hearts is just, for me, so real today. Father, that I know you're speaking into my heart. And Father, I know that you're speaking into the hearts of others.